In the name of Jesus, we come to you, Father. We can call you that because Christ has brought us into the family of God by his sacrifice. And we come to you, Father, with the help of the Holy Spirit. For by your grace and mercy, you have not only secured our salvation, but imparted, to us, imparted it to us by the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit of God, you indwell us. And you transform our prayers, which are imperfect and flawed, and you turn them into a masterpiece. And Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit, both of you, advocate to us, to the Father. What a remarkable privilege we have to be rightly related to the true and the living God, to be so loved that you would give of yourself to bring us back into communion and fellowship with yourself, with that kind of sacrifice and that kind of advocacy that we would be secure. We thank you for that. And we don't say it lightly. And I pray, Lord, that this morning it would be impressed again upon our hearts and minds that we would not just know it cognitively, but believe it with our whole persons, heart, mind, and soul. And may it animate our lives. Thank you for uh, bringing us back into your family and for giving us life that is truly life. We pray, Lord, that as uh, we work through these things this morning, that you would teach us, that you would convict us, that you would encourage us, that we would hear from you. Uh, Lord, let me just be a mouthpiece, but may your message be heard. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> this morning, we are um, starting a little different series here um, called The House of Faith. House of Faith. Uh, normally, we're committed to expositional teaching where we go through a book, uh, and we're going to get to that, but we're going to take four weeks and just kind of have some family conversation about who we are uh, and uh, in terms of our mission, our vision. And a couple of things that I think we need to address just as a household of faith. And then we're going to pick up the gospel of Mark um, in four weeks. So as I kind of lean into this, and again, this morning is sort of mission and vision talk. You can pull out your handout and, and follow along there. I want to start by reminding us of the incredible privilege that we have in just being the church. And what God has done for us, triune God. And just kind of bask again in our identity in Christ and who God has made us to be. Uh, the Bible teaches that when a person repents of their sin and they turn in trust to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, uh, that some really remarkable things happen. And I don't want any of us to take them for granted. So we're just going to kind of run through about six things real quick, and then we'll run into mission and vision here. First of all, when we turn in saving faith to Jesus, our sin was forgiven. Past, present, and future. And I think it's important to distinguish the forgiveness of God from the forgiveness of mankind, because when we think of forgiveness, we typically think of imperfect forgiveness, we think of human forgiveness. When you get sideways with somebody, has any of you ever gotten sideways with somebody? And maybe you or they, you come to one another and say, I'm sorry, I apologize, will you forgive me? And hopefully in that moment, if it's us or if it's them, that can be extended. But then very often in time, our memory brings back the occasion and we're offended again. 
And where we maybe had at least attempted forgiveness, we still hold on to something and we're still mad about it, right? We know human forgiveness. We know imperfect forgiveness, but the forgiveness of God is perfect. Our sins were not just excused. They were paid for in Jesus, punished in him. Past, present, and future. And I will say this too, just as a little bit of theological nuance. Um, God hasn't forgotten our sins, I'll say that. He's omniscient, he knows all things. But he does not remember them against us. He does not call them against us, they've been paid for in Christ. Secondly, not only have our sins been forgiven, but Christ's righteousness has been credited to us. We have been funded with the righteousness of Christ. So I'll illustrate this in sort of economic terms here. Let's say you're a college student over at UAF or a recent graduate, and you're carrying some student loans. Let's say they're significant. And by significant, let's say they're 30 grand. You've got 30 grand in student loans. And some well-meaning person comes along and says, hey, I really like you. I got you. I'm paying all of your student debt. And it's gone. That'd be a good day, right? The answer is yes to that. That's a good day. That's a good day. That would just get you back to zero. But imagine if they also came along and said, you know what? I'm independently wealthy. I have an infinite supply of Monday and all, money and all I have is yours. This is what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He didn't just deal with our debt, our sins, but he funds us with the righteousness of Jesus who is rich beyond measure and that is ours. So when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. That's our standing with him. We were also regenerated, the scriptures teach. The Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in our life and he makes us alive. We were once spiritually dead, separated from God because of our sin. And we had no vitality in us to bring ourselves out of that condition, no ability. Only by the grace and the mercy of Christ have we been made spiritually alive. We've been regenerated, given new life and the ability to not sin, the ability to actually obey Christ which we did not have fully before. And we were adopted into the family of God. Uh, something I learned this year about adoption, this was sort of new to me, but that in, in ancient Israel, adoption was not so much about just sort of family belonging, but it was about receiving the inheritance of the family. It was about being blessed with all that belonged to the family. But we have been brought into the family of God. In other words, there is no such thing as a solitary Christian. We were saved out of something, but saved into something. We are now family of God together, a household of faith, a household of faith. And we were sealed. As we find in the scriptures, once we are saved, I believe we are always saved. No one can snatch you out of the father's hand. His gifts and his call are irrevocable, as Romans 11 teaches. We're sealed so that we are securely in the family of God. And then finally, we're given the incredible privilege of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Or I'll use some other terms to wake that up for you. A student of Jesus. An apprentice of his. 
We're learning from Jesus the craft of being human. God made us to be human. It's not a bad thing to be human. We often use it in negative terms like, well, in my humanness, hey, God made you to be a human. It was a good thing. Now, it was marred and distorted at the fall. And so we live with the sinful humanity. But Jesus teaches us how to be fully human, and he is the only one who ever was fully human. And so as we learn from him and imitate his life and his ways, we are taking our humanity back, or rather he is giving it back to us. We are learning to be human. And so these truths, I just want to remind you of these things. These are just some of, just some of, it's not exhaustive, but some of the many truths and privileges of being the church, of who we are, not just individually, not individual Christians, but corporately together. And I'll, and I'll remind you as well, I've said this many times, but if you haven't heard it, I want you to. You don't go to church. You are the church. I hope you didn't wake up this morning and think, wow, it's sunny and beautiful out. I got to go to church. <laughs> Some of you are looking down at your sandals right now going, I felt that. But hopefully, theologically, your mind was, it's a beautiful sunny day. And I am the church, and I get to gather with the church to worship God. We don't go to church. We gather to worship, but we are the church. So kind of with those theological underpinnings, I want to move into how do we as a church function? What is our mission, and what is our vision, and some specific strategies that we're addressing right now? Uh, what has God called us to? And so the first is this, mission. And I would say that the mission doesn't change. Uh, sometimes I'm puzzled when people come up to me and go, hey, Eric, what's the mission of your church? And I think, I don't understand the question because the answer is right within it. If we're a church and we're the church of Christ, then we all have the same mission. It's the Great Commission. It's to make disciples. That's what we're called to. And that doesn't change. We get this, of course, in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So mission doesn't change. This is the timeless mandate that is given to us by Christ. Uh, we don't get to go, ah, I think we're tired of that one, and we'd like to create a new mission. We would be deviating from the call of Christ. So the way we verbalize that here, just to kind of put some some more ordinary language, day-to-day -day language on it, is this leading people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what this church is about as we carry out the Great Commission. That means that somebody may come to us that does not yet believe in Jesus. We want to show them the beauty of the faith and the truth of God's word and all that God has graciously done for us in Christ. We want them to come to know him as their Lord and Savior. That's their part of their journey towards discipleship. Some of you crossed the line of faith recently, and you're learning to grow and mature in your Christian walk. And others of you, you crossed the line of faith long ago, centuries ago. You crossed the line of faith, and we're trying to mature you in your faith as well. So leading people to a growing relationship with Jesus. And I think it's worth remembering and just basking in the incredible dignity and honor that God has given to us to be those who carry out the Great Commission. 
Think about it for a second. This is going to stretch you, but ready? You're God. You're God. And you're trying to get this sinful, unbelieving world to understand who Jesus is and the salvation that has been given and to learn to live rightly before him. What's your strategy? What's your method? If I'm God, I'll be honest with you, I'm not leaving it to a bunch of Baptists up in Fairbanks, Alaska. Love you guys. It's just not the way I would conceive of it. And yet God says, no, you're my team. I'm giving you guys responsibility for this community right here. And I want you to live as my disciples. I want you to follow the ways of Jesus. And I want you to make disciples. And I want you to be witnesses of Jesus, of his life, death, and resurrection. And I want you to be my ambassadors in your community where you are. So I don't care what your job is, if you work up at the university or on a job site or in a cubicle or wherever it is. Your vocation before God is to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ, to be a representative of his reconciling men to God. So that's the mission. Doesn't change. That stays the same. Vision. This is what you might say is the particularization of mission. How do we go about it right here in this place with what God's entrusted to us and with the challenges uh, that we face? So mission answers the question, why are we here? And vision says, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? And I love um, sort of the second part of this, of the Great Commission. You heard me emphasize it a little bit. And teaching them to obey, right? I love Dallas Willard, one of my favorite authors, has called this particular part of the Great Commission the Great Omission. The forgotten part. We like the theory of, yes, we're making disciples. How are we doing that? Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And so this is kind of um, from where I draw our vision uh, for the church and how we've articulated this. So when I close my eyes... And I think about this church and our future and what God has entrusted to us. This is what I'm passionate about right here. A caring community that equips the whole family to follow Jesus. That's the way I see us going about the Great Commission here where God has placed us. And I would say it is, it's for that particular vision that Amy and I have been willing uh, to live in Fairbanks, Alaska for the last 20 years. Uh, we're, we're heading into our 20th year of ministry here. Um, and that is the vision that called us to leave our family of origins down in the lower 48 with the first grandchild on both sides, which wasn't popular. <laughs> to live far away from them, to haul our own trash, to winterize our own cars, to suffer under bad food service, <laughs> mediocre driving, and terrible parking at Fred Meyer, right? Which is coming. I particularly love it when they decide to park both directions at the same time. That one's very annoying. We were not, I'll be honest with you, we weren't, when we got the call to come up to Fairbanks, um, we were not thrilled. Uh, we laughed, like Abraham and Sarah, and many of you as well. We thought, really? I'm from the high desert of California, and Amy's from Yakima, Washington. So yeah, Alaska sounds like a perfect fit for us. Uh, we weren't initially thrilled about the place. And as we came up here and as we met you and as we have done life with you over the years, we see just how good God was to us and we didn't know it. 
In our mind, we thought, you know, sure, we'll take one for the team. Uh, we're going to suffer for Jesus up, uh, you know, in the Arctic North and be part of the frozen chosen. We're going to do it. Let's go. And, uh, and yet we love it. and We praise God that he's brought us here. So we feel called to this and also a little bit of fly fishing, both things. So <laughs> mission of the church, leading people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Vision, how do we particularize that? A caring community that equips the whole family to follow Jesus. And I just want to unpack that a little bit. Caring. We want the church, this church, this fellowship to be marked by the love of Christ. There is to be a distinguishing, compelling, conspicuous difference in and among the church in this world. People ought to be able to see us interacting with one another and say, those folks are Christians. That's the kind of association that ought to happen. Jesus said as much, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I would argue that that is the supreme ethic of all of the scriptures, the conspicuous mark of love one for another. Um, and I, I love the way Francis Schaeffer, a uh, bit of a hero of mine, he refers to this in his book, uh, The Mark of a Christian. He calls the observable love of true Christian for true Christian the final apologetic of the gospel. And those are really big words coming from Schaefer, who himself is an apologist, who has written many books and many of them on defending the faith. And it's been a privilege of mine to be able to go to uh, Labrie, a little community that he established where the observable love of Christian for Christian would be expressed in community as they do apologetics together. I also think this is really critical in our day and age because I think more important right now, maybe than ever uh, in history, is the communal witness of Christians, not just the individual witness. Because we live in a pluralist society right now where people kind of deny absolute truth. So if you make a truth claim as an individual, they're just going to say, great, that's great for you. That's fine for you. That's your truth and how you practice. Wonderful. Great. Whatever. I'm going to go do my thing. But when you see the community of faith, when you see Christians genuinely loving one another, whose lives have been transformed by the gospel, such that they don't just reflect the culture around them, but are counterculturally loving one another in sacrificial ways. Now we're seeing something different. Now we have an evidence for the truthfulness and the beauty of the gospel. The communal witness, much more powerful than the individual witness, particularly in today's culture. And I would also say that I think there is a great challenge for us to do this this day, to be this caring community that I'm talking about. And I'll give you two, two challenges um, that occurred to me. The first one is this. 50% of our church changes over every five years. 50% every five years. 10% a year. And uh, I want to demonstrate that this morning, or rather you're going to help me demonstrate it here. So uh, I know people don't like the participatory things in service, but tough. So if you've been here five years or less, would you stand please? Five years or less. There you go. Did I exaggerate? Not a bit. How about three years or less? Stay standing. Okay, stay there for just one more second. It's important for us to see you who are standing. 
but it's also important for you who are standing to see one another. And you may be seated now. Thank you for doing that. I'll tell you why it's important for you who are standing to see one another. Because very often you can walk into a church and say, hey, great church. Yeah, loving things. Here I am. Give me my community, please. I'm ready to have it. And it can be after some time, a year or two, you might think, boy, I just haven't gotten the community I was hoping for. Why haven't they welcomed me with open arms? I think what's important for you to realize sometimes is you look around and go, oh, I've been here a year or two. I'm in the, in, I'm in the inside. <laughs> this is the inside. And I'll say this too, and I mean this sort of confessionally, after 20 years of being here and 50% of the church revolving every five years, a lot of folks have come through and there's a fatigue, and I'm speaking to those of you who've been here a long time with me and I'm seeing some of your faces. We grieve when our dear friends go and sometimes we're reluctant to let new ones in and that's our hard work to do before the Lord. But these are some things that we face. So that's one of the challenges. It's just the churn of retirement and college and military and why in the world did my husband bring me up here? I wanna leave, that whole thing, right? The churn. So the churn is a part of the difficulty of being caring community. Here's the other one that I would challenge you with. It's a cultural thing. Alaska draws a certain kind of person, an independent person, a self-reliant person, a capable person, but culturally a person who oftentimes isolates in silos. Very capable to take care of life themselves. If the apocalypse came, they're going to be fine. They're going to outlive anybody else. <laughs> that person has to bring those capabilities and that cultural value under submission to the word of God. Because the word of God calls us into community together. Interdependent relationships. Meaningful relationships where we care for one another. Um, another obstacle that we face here is really is COVID, right? The last 18 months have been brutal. I can't wait for a sermon when I don't have to mention COVID. How about that? Bring that on, Lord. But it has affected the way we relate to one another. COVID has exposed values, priorities, opinions, uh, comfort zones, convictions, and it has done so quickly, faster than many of us have even had a chance to sort it, and so we all wound ourselves on one another, right? Is that right? Is that what I, you guys experience this? And I'm going to say that's not just Bethel Church. That's not just the church. That's the world right now, okay? I think that is absolutely universal. It affects every family. I'm sure you've got family members who differ from you on something, Neighbors who differ, co-workers who differ, team members who differ, and yes, church as well. And so right here, even in our own fellowship, I think the speed and intensity of COVID and all the adjustments we had to make, it was brutal. It was tough. So this is a challenge to be a caring community, but it's a challenge that we have to meet because we're Christians, because we're following Christ. Because we're family of God and we're the household of faith. That's who he's made us to be. So caring is the first one. Caring community. In other words, we're not just after attenders. You made it in the building this morning. Good for you. We want more from you. We expect more. We want you to move from attending to belonging. 
that you would have a place of fellowship, a place of belonging to one another, interdependent relationships, mutual service, giving and receiving from one another. Ephesians 4, 16 pictures this for us. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You have a part to play. So once again, if you feel like, hey, I've got all the skills and the capabilities, I'm going to be over here in the church of Eric because I like this one. This is good. I can manage this. If you're doing that, you're robbing from the church of God by withholding your gifts and your service and the ways that you are to minister to them and build them up in Christ, even if you think you can do it on your own, which, by the way, you can't. And if I'm honest about it, I think really what people are longing for in their heart of hearts is community. I think people really do want to have a sense of belonging. You notice what's really common in about every sitcom that you watch on television? Not only is it intended to be funny and has canned laughter and all the rest, there's always a little network of four or five or six people that are close friends, right? In their workplace, in their residence, whatever. And they live life together in such a close way we go, oh, that looks great. And we're drawn to that and we want that. And I think this is, I mean, this is just sort of universal. I think we want refrigerator privileges in somebody's home, right? <laughs> Not so much in our home. We don't want them to have it in ours, but we want to have ref refrigerator privileges in their home, you know, to eat their beef jerky or whatever they got. I think we want to be able to go and pick one another's kids up from school without it feeling weird. I remember when somebody from the church, when I was a kid, came to pick me up from school, and I thought my parents were dead. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, mom and dad are gone. What happened? It was weird. That's not what we want. That was the negative example. You know, our kids ought to see somebody pull up and go, sweet, Robin's here to get me. We're neighbors. Awesome. I'll go home with her. <laughs> Maybe she's got something nice in the fridge. We want to have open homes where we share meals with one another and share our things. We want to be able to hunt together and fish together and bring in this year's wood harvest to teach each other to knit or work on the car. We want to live life together. We want a shared life together. I will tell you this too. This is a precursor to next week, which next week's message will be spicier. Um, I invite you all back. We want community, but community has a cost. If I were to write a book right now, the title of the book would be The Cost of Community because everybody wants it and a lot of people are not willing to pay the price. We'll talk about that next week. So we envision a caring community that equips, equips, and this is something I'm really proud of uh, for our church. Our church has a longstanding reputation in the community for being an equipping church. And that happens in every stage, in every life age. Uh, I will just remind you again of Ephesians 4, which doesn't, it says, not that the pastors do all the work of ministry and the people receive it. It says that the pastors equip God's people for work of service, right? Ephesians 4.11. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Ministry of the church is to itself, to one another, to you to y'all, to we 
whatever the Southern is for that. It's all of us. It's not from clergy down. It's the body of Christ to the body of Christ. Uh, some of the ways that we do this, we are committed to expositional teaching, although this morning you're not getting that. But in a couple weeks, we'll return to the Gospel of Mark. And as you know, we open up a new book and we, we start with the introduction. And we're going to take a whole week saying, what's here? We'll try to get a, a vision of the forest of this whole book. What's here? And I'll send you home and I'll encourage you to try to read the book in one sitting. Give yourself a half an hour and just hear it all at once. You'll be amazed how much you take away by reading it in one sitting. And as we work through the book, you'll hear some of these classic hermeneutical questions. Uh, the three questions you hear all the time. What was the original intent? What was the author's intent? What's the timeless principle? How is this significant for you? We'll talk to you about the importance of context and looking for things like repetition because we don't just want to administer the word of God. We want to teach you how to nourish yourself on the word of God. And some of our other equipping ministries are in Awana and our core curriculum, uh, adult Sunday school class that we have and the Christian Thought Forum, our annual apologetics conference, which is coming up in October. So this is one of the things that we are as a church. We're an equipping church. Some churches have different personalities and this one is ours. And then the next line here, caring community that equips the whole family. And I'm going to throw a change here. I'm going to alter this a little bit because I think there's been a bit of a misunderstanding. Typically when I say whole family, I think people hear, oh, good, this is the Chuck E. Cheese of churches. Like when you hear family restaurant. Do you think nice meal or sticky floors? <laughs> I hear sticky floors. So we're incredibly blessed to have a ton of kids at this church. That's great. We typically have about 200 kids, 18 years down to nursery on a Sunday morning downstairs. Praise God for that. But when I say we're a family church, I don't mean we're a church for kids. I, I mean we're a church for the whole family of God. I don't just mean mom and dad and 2.5. I mean, aunts and uncles, grandmas and grandpas, singles and marrieds, large families, marrieds without kids, empty nesters, retirees, widows and widowers. I mean the whole family of God. In other words, what we really value is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church, a church that resembles the broader community that we're in. I really, really don't want a niche church, if you will. So I'll pick on two, because that's kind of fun. Um, <laughs> have you ever noticed that oftentimes church plants, everybody in the church plant is between the ages of like 28 and 35, and they all look like hipsters. And you think, what's going on here? Why this homogenous group? Where's the diversity? I'm not saying all church plants are like that or all church plants are bad, but that's a common trend. I'll give you another one. About five weeks ago, I was down uh, in, in Oregon, traveled over to Sun River uh, to see my good friend, Jeff Welch, our former uh, youth pastor from long ago. And Jeff is pastoring a church there. And we got to do a little fly fishing together, of course. And I got to preach for him also. And as I looked out over the congregation in this retirement community, and I'll use one of their words or one of their descriptions, it was as though there were a room full of Q-tips. 
<laughs> that kind of was funny to me. Now, if you're sitting here and you've got white hair and you're like, hey, I, I'm, I, white hair is great and I would love to have some. I don't, I don't have some. And we need some white hairs in the church and we need some bald babies too, right? We need the whole spectrum of the family of God. We want to reflect the community that we're in, not being a niche church. So we shouldn't just have, be a retirement community. We shouldn't just be a hipster venue, and we shouldn't just be a venue with a bunch of 15-passenger vans. Multi-ethnic, multi-generational church. And then finally here, it's all about following Jesus. The last point here. Um, You might hear this uh, message and say, boy, Eric, that vision that you've laid out uh, is not very radical. No, it's not. It's something Christ gave long ago, but it continues to call for us and demand things upon us. But the great privilege that we have in doing all of this together is that we would get to follow Jesus Christ. The word disciple is used in the New Testament 269 times. That's a lot, by the way. The New Testament is a book about disciples, by disciples, and for disciples. Jesus is calling us into apprenticeship with him so that he can give us our lives back. Our eternity is secure if we've trusted in him as our savior. But he is restoring to us the life that is truly life in the here and now and called us to be about that, part of that in one another's lives. So a couple strategies that I think we need to to kind of work on right now as we're doing all of these things. One is just tending to our health as a church, which looks like addressing our financial situation, which looks like addressing some of these things in the next four weeks in this series, The Household of Faith. Uh, I will tell you this, maybe contrary to your thoughts or opinions, I'm not really that interested in being a very large church. I'm not that interested in being a very small church. Nor am I particularly interested in being a Goldilocks medium-sized church. In other words, I don't care about the size. What I care about is the health. And that is what I tend to. That is my heart's passion to tend to the health of this church. I think healthy things grow. Not all growing things are healthy. If you're growing another appendage, that's a bad thing. That's not healthy. But generally speaking, healthy things grow. So we're tending to our health right now. We're adjusting to some staff changes. Uh, We've had three new positions, not added positions, but three changes just this summer. So Ethan is our pastor of worship and connections. And Leah Koval is our new Sunday school director. And Joanna Scroggins is our new nursery director. That's 30% of our our staff that has changed over just this last summer. So there's that. Uh, I think we're also adjusting to just the past and present implications of COVID. Uh, It's just affected the world. It's interrupted the world. In the same way that the supply chain has been interrupted, uh, you might say the community chain of relating to one another has been interrupted. And we're tending to that. Um, A couple other things, and I'll just mention them quickly because we're going to preach on them later. But community, that's next week. Uh, Our generosity to God as we give our tithes and offerings. Uh, That's in two weeks. 
for three weeks and then service. Pastor Mark is going to preach to us about service and how we serve the body of Christ together. It's a privilege to be the family of God. It's a privilege to be in this household of faith with you all. And we have some work to do. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, by your grace and mercy, you have called us out of darkness. Interestingly, as the text says, out of the dominion of darkness, and you've called us into the kingdom of the beloved son. We were just in a mess. We were in a realm of ugly influence. But now you've called us to be your sons and daughters in the kingdom of God most high. So we have incredible privilege where we're placed. Lord, may we as your church be faithful to the tasks ahead of us. May we be a caring community that equips the whole family to follow Jesus. Help us to that end. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.